Good morning. How's everybody doing? Y'all seem a little more lively than 9 o'clock, so that's good. Um, uh, so my name is Brandon Williams. I'm the senior pastor over at Connection in Statesboro, and uh, Billy asked me to come and fill in for him as he's in Athens today preaching, and so um, excited to be here. It's always good to get out and see the different Connection churches and just be able to um, see what's happening there, and I'm uh, very thankful for all that God's doing here, and um, very thankful for um, the church here um, and, and what God's doing through it. And so um, today we're going to continue uh, going through the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So you can go ahead and turn there if you will. Um, I want to uh, mention to you this, that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, a little bit of background, um, Paul is encouraging them to complete um, an offering that he has taken up. And he's taken up this offering is to go to the church in Jerusalem, to the Jewish believers. Um, and so he's encouraging them to fulfill the, the promise that they had made. They had made a promise that they would um, give to this, this church in Jerusalem. And the reason they're doing this is that the church in Jerusalem was going through a difficult time. They, they were in need. And so Paul is wanting to collect this money to take it back the, from the Gentile churches to the church in Jerusalem to support them in their time of need. And so that's where we're at in this. Um, normally, this is preached as a uh, very much a giving um, message out of this passage, and rightfully so. But as I was reading it this week and reading it and praying through it again, I saw something that I believe speaks to, to us in an even greater way than just generosity. I will make this statement. We should be the most generous people on earth. We've been given so much um, as Christians that we should live generously. We should give towards the needs of people. We should give towards ministries that carry the gospel forward. We should give to the church. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. And so we should support those things. Not trying to get away from that. That is core to who we are. But also want us to look at something today that I believe we see in this passage um, that we need to be aware of and that we need to be um, vigilant uh, to guard against. And so let's read the first uh, five verses and then we're going to pray. Then we'll get into this today. It says in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians verse 1, Paul says this to the church in Corinth. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. So he's encouraging them to fulfill this promise that they made. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word is truth. I thank you, God, that Right now, it is living and active. I thank you that your spirit, even right now, is using it, Lord, to renew our minds. But I pray it would cut our hearts, that we could become the people you created us and now have recreated us in Jesus to be. 
Lord, just move through this time. Let this good seed find good soil in our hearts and let it produce a harvest a hundred times what's sown today. We love you, Lord, and we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So quick question as we get going. How many of you like to start projects? You like to start projects. Maybe it's uh, something you do um, around the house. You start working on the pantry. You're gonna redo the pantry. You're gonna redo the kitchen floor. You're gonna um, build something, uh, a shop in the back. You're gonna build a fire pit. You know, you're gonna write a book. And so you start out and you're very eager. How many of you like to start things? Anybody like to start things? I like to start things. Anybody like to start things? Okay, so how many of you like to finish? Like you can't sleep if you're not done, right? You cannot sleep if you're not done. Yeah, that's not me. Um, but I'm very good at getting 95% through, right? Getting 95% through, and kind of the way I look at it is if I made a 95 on a test, that's really good. And so I figure 95 is pretty good, and then I kind of have this squirrel moment where it's like, squirrel, you know, you get distracted, you go start doing something else. And so around our house, the yard, everything, we got stuff that's like 95% done and just left unfinished. And there's something about that that in many ways in our faith and in our Christian walk that I feel like it's a tendency of human nature. Many times with our faith and with our following Jesus, we, we start out well, we start out enthusiastically, but then it begins to wane. It, it begins to diminish the enthusiasm, the passion. It begins to diminish, and soon we have lost the fire that we once had. I remember when I first got saved and I was on fire, I had way more zeal than wisdom, but I was passionate, and I, I was so excited about Jesus. And I remember somebody telling me, now don't expect it to be like this forever. Because after a while, you won't feel the same way. And I just think that's a lie, right? It, shouldn't that be a lie that if we're in relationship with the God of the universe who created everything and holds it all together, shouldn't that be pretty exciting every day? And, and yet we've settled for this where it, it kind of just becomes mundane. It kind of just becomes a rote activity, a religious routine. But here's what I believe. I believe that it's important to keep the passion, our love for God kindled. And here's what's really important. It is important for us as Christians to finish well. How many of you wanna finish well? Right, we wanna finish well, right? We, we want to finish well as a, a mother, a wife, a husband, a father, as a parent. We wanna finish well. We wanna finish well as a boss or an employee. We want to finish well. We want our testimony to be that I have run the race. I have fought the good fight. And now what waits for me is this eternal glory that, can, that surpasses anything I can imagine. And we want to get to the end and be able to say, I finished well. I have been faithful. But that, that's not the tendency. We don't drift towards finishing well. We don't drift towards finishing well. I wanna to talk to you today about how we finish well. I wanna encourage you in some ways that we finish well, that we finish and we can say like Paul, I have fought the good fight. 
as he told Timothy, this disciple who, who he raised up as son in the Lord. And he says, Timothy, my departure is near, but I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have run the race. And that's what I want for you. And that's what I want for me. Paul is here and he's commending them. He's like, you started out with this promise, man, and you were fired up. You were ready to go. You were excited. He said, in fact, you are so enthusiastic and you are so excited that your enthusiasm actually stirred the churches of Macedonia to start giving to this offering. He says, that's how passionate you were. But then we get to verse three. And he says, but... But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but you may be ready as I said you would be. Now, if you know anything much about the Corinthian church, they, 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 they were a little out there. They were a little carnal from Paul's own words about them. And there's something that Paul either suspects or he knows that he's saying, I'm not 100% sure they're following through on this promise. And so he sends some people ahead, and he tells them, I'm sending them so that you'll be prepared, that you'll be ready, that you'll finish fulfilling the promise that you made. And he sends them to go see this and make sure this happens. They started well, but somewhere along the way, there was a distraction. Somewhere along the way, they lost the passion to fulfill it. And so Paul sends these men to go and make sure that they are ready to do what they promised. It was a good start, but the first thing I want to tell you about finishing well, and this is the first point I'll make today, is this, that where you begin determines how you end sometimes. Where you begin determines how you end Sometimes. And here's what I mean by that. Where you begin determines how you end if you let your beginning define you. So where you begin determines how you end if you let the beginning define you, whether your beginning is good or bad. So in life, this is, this is just in life, maybe you started out and it was pretty rough Maybe you started out and it was pretty dysfunctional. Maybe you started out and you made some bad choices and made some bad decisions. Somewhere in the past, whether it was recent or a long time ago, you made some decisions and you allowed those decisions to define you. Then let me tell you this. If you can't move on from those, if you can't cut ties with those and you keep dragging those with you, what it's gonna do is your past is gonna hinder your future. But your past doesn't have to determine your future because God is a redemptive God. Jesus is a redeemer and a healer. He's the one who makes us a new creation and gives us a new life. The old is gone, the new has come. My past doesn't have to determine my future. Maybe I had an abusive father or mother. Or they were alcoholics. They, they, they weren't there. Maybe I was abandoned. Maybe I didn't feel loved. Maybe everything that I did was based around my performance and their love for me was based on performance, whatever it might be. Maybe you've made mistakes in your life. The thing that I would tell you is this. Those things don't have to determine your future. 
Where you begin determines how you end sometimes. And that is if it defines you. Maybe you started out and everything was great. Maybe you've been successful in business. You're successful in school. Maybe your future is bright. Guess what? How you begin will determine how you end if that defines you. You can die with $10 billion in the bank and your life not account for anything. It can, it can have all, the, all the, 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 the names. You can have your name on buildings. You can have your name in lights. You can go down as one of the greatest actors, ball players, whatever you want to be. You can have more money than Bill Gates. You can have more of everything and your life have accounted for nothing. So where you begin then determines how you end. I would encourage you today, let your life count for something that matters. So where we begin determines how we end if we let it define us. Here's the second way it can determine how we end. If we start in the wrong place with the gospel. If we start from the wrong place with the gospel. See, in church today, and especially in the South, Christianity has become a moral religion. It looks no different in many cases than every other religion in the world that tells us we need to work our way to God and then cross our fingers and hope we did enough. I'm working for acceptance. I'm working for salvation. I'm working, working, working. It's all about behavior modification. And Churches want us to behave properly, so messages are geared around behavior modification rather than heart transformation. But as Andrew talked about earlier, we, Jesus didn't come to modify our behavior. He came and died and rose again and ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit so that he could give us a new heart to bring us alive. See, Jesus knows this. If he can get your heart, he's gonna get your entire life. You know, one of the things that's funny about Billy, and Kate's down here, she can attest to this, but I love Billy Shopper. When we sent Billy, we sent our best. And, but one of the things, and y'all may have seen this, but when he preaches, sometimes he puts like phrases together in ways that they don't go together. Sometimes he just has a slip up every now and then. Like one time, he was preaching out of John chapter four. And he said, you know, the woman in the well, the woman at the, she wasn't like down in the hole, right? Another time, and this is something that we have laughed about, he was talking about a chest of drawers, and he called it Chester drawers, like it was a person, old Chester drawers, y'all know old Chester drawers lives down the road? But, but I say that to say this, it made me think about this, is Jesus in your life the chest, or is he just a drawer in the chest? Is he compartmentalized to a part of your life, or is he the chest that holds all of your life? Because in the South, it becomes a thing where he's just compartmentalized to part of my life, but Jesus is our life. And if you begin in the wrong place with this and you still feel like you're working for acceptance rather than from acceptance, it's all wrong. You're working 
from the wrong point. You're starting in the wrong point, and where you begin can determine how you end because you're going to spend your entire life trying to be pleasing to God for acceptance rather than trying to be pleasing to God because you've been accepted. You're going to continue to work for love instead of being compelled by his love. You're going to still live in condemnation and all of my effort given to God is to try to get this burden of condemnation off of me rather than worshiping him because his condemnation no longer belongs to me. And it's a huge difference where you begin in your life and, 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 and how it defines you matters. Where you begin in the gospel, it matters. Am I beginning from salvation and working my salvation out or am I still trying to work my salvation in it's a huge difference where you begin determines how you end sometimes Paul told the Galatians that they were starting to fall back into legalism and religious rules and all this stuff and he said who bewitched you who's cast a spell on you you begin so well in the spirit and now you're gonna try to earn it again Paul's very clear, the Bible's very clear that we are saved by grace through faith, not by our works. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit who transforms us. The first thing I would tell you is where you begin determines how you end sometimes. The second thing I would tell you is in verse 5, and it says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you. They're going there, and they're to see this, this offering completed. Second thing I would tell you, if you want to finish well, don't reject accountability. Don't reject accountability. Understand this. Accountability isn't mean. Accountability isn't mean. We live in a world now that if you hold someone accountable, it's just like you shot them in the arm or something. It's like you hate them if you try to hold someone accountable. But accountability is an act of love. Accountability is loving. But few in the church today will receive it. And here's why, guys. Here's why. We don't understand that we can be corrected without being condemned. Anything that hints that correction feels like condemnation because we are so insecure of who we are in Christ. We can't see past the correction and realize that it's good for us, that somebody cares about us. The most unloving thing you can do is watch somebody walk off a cliff and never say a word. We can't see it as something that it's mean or hateful. The reality is it's loving. There's some ingredients of healthy accountability we need to understand. One is humility. And it's not just humility in the person who's being corrected or who's being reminded of Christ and pointed back to Jesus. But it takes humility on the, 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 the person who is bringing the correction. Paul describes us correcting someone like setting a bone, gently setting it. And that's how we should approach it with humility. It requires trust between the two people. It requires love, um, a love that we both understand we have for each other. And it requires an, a, a mutually agreed upon 
goal. Here's how this should work. I should trust you to the point, if, if you're in my life and we have relationship, there should be a trust that gets built between us. And if I know you love Jesus, you love the church, and you love me, and in that order, then I can receive feedback because I know what you're telling me is for my own good. And if we have a place that we're both trying to get to, Christ's likeness and filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, which is our purpose, then I want you to hold me accountable so I get there. The problem with church today is we try to hold people accountable to get them to a place they really don't want to get to. So many people in church today have not tasted that the Lord is good. There's no motivation. They haven't had a view of God's mercy. There's little desire to become like Christ or to fulfill his mission. And so when we try to hold each other accountable, it doesn't go well because we're forcing people to go somewhere they don't want to go. We need this mutual agreed upon goal and a desire. There's a man in my life I've been meeting with for about three, four years now. We meet every Monday morning at 10 o'clock. And he's from Africa. And he's got this really cool accent. I'm 100% convinced that if you speak or preach with a British accent, um, some type of African accent or an Australian accent, your preaching is already 10 times better just because of the accent, right? Well, he comes in and, and he loves me. I trust him because I know he loves Jesus, the church, and me, and in that order. And we have a mutual agreed upon goal. And he approaches me with humility. But when he comes in and in the morning he sits down and the first words out of his mouth are this, I don't want you to fall into condemnation. Then I know I'm about to get ripped. <laughs> I don't want you to fall into condemnation and I've really been praying about this. I'm like, oh. And the longer he talks about not wanting me to fall into condemnation, the worse it's gonna be. But I can receive what he says because he approaches me with humility, I trust him and he loves me. And we need that, don't reject accountability. Look at verse six and seven, he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. He says, remember this principle. This is a biblical principle. It's timeless. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he says, decide in your heart what you will give. It's almost like he's saying this. You know that if you sow a lot, you're gonna reap a lot. So decide what you wanna do with it. Do you wanna give a lot or do you wanna give a little? Do you wanna invest a lot in the kingdom or do you wanna invest a little? Do you wanna serve a lot in the kingdom or do you wanna serve a little? Do you want to lead many people to the Lord or you just wanna maybe drift through and never lead anyone to the Lord? Do you wanna make a big impact or a little impact? He's saying decide in your heart what you're going to invest with your life. And I would encourage you with this, be intentional about your harvest. 
Be intentional about your harvest. He tells them, decide in your heart, a decision, make a choice. He says, decide in your heart. I would ask you this, what do you want to harvest? Do you want what's produced by sowing to your flesh, by sowing to sin? Because the Bible tells us this, if we sow to our flesh and we sow to sin, the only thing we're gonna reap is decay and destruction. But he says this, if you sow to the Spirit, then you'll reap a harvest of everlasting life and righteousness. Which one do we want? Be intentional about your harvest. There's a big difference in having good intentions and being intentional. You can have the best of intentions, but if they don't turn into action, it doesn't matter. Be intention what you sow to. Do you want to reap what's temporary or reap what's eternal? Let your life count for something. Be intentional about your harvest. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, he says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Be intentional about your harvest by remembering your purpose and keep grinding. Remember your purpose and keep grinding. He said, listen, if you look at this and and you can really grab hold of it, he said, look, if you keep sowing, God's gonna keep giving. If you keep sowing, God's gonna keep giving. But understand this, the reason for God's blessing on what we invest in the kingdom, the reason for God's blessing on our generosity is for prosperous ministry, not just for prosperity. Not to make it easy. It's not going to be easy if we are in the fight. One of my son's baseball coaches, man, he used to fire me up and make me wanna go go get on the field. I'm like, put me in, coach. I'm 47, but let me swing the bat one time. But they would be kind of just going through the motions and not competing when they're hitting and just kind of going through the motions. And he would just yell at them and go, get in the fight. I'm like, yes, get in the fight. And that's what I would encourage you with today is get in the fight. It's not meant to be easy. But there's a promise in Galatians 6. Paul writes and says, Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Keep stepping, keep going in the strength that the Lord gives you. God told Gideon, he said, get up and go in the strength that you have. If you'll begin to step, God will give you the strength to take the next step. Just don't quit. Don't grow weary in doing good. I'll tell you this. If we're gonna remember our purpose, fulfill our purpose, and keep on grinding, one of the most necessary characteristics for the Christian is grit. Is grit. But grit isn't just toughness. Any guys out there, you think you're pretty tough, right? We all kinda do. Sometimes we're like, I'm tough, you know. I kinda would think that sometimes, and then yesterday, on both of my thumbs, the skin split right there. Y'all ever had that happen? You can think you're tough, 
And then that happens. And every time I put my hand in my pocket to grab my keys or something, I remember how not tough I am. It, it was so bad. Yesterday I just started sh- sh- squirting super glue in it. Like some, something's got to hold this together. I don't know if that's good for you or not. But I started putting super glue in it. And we can think we're tough, but understand this grit is not just tough. Grit is a manifestation of God's grace. It is grace that gives us the ability to persevere. It's not just us summoning the moral courage or the toughness to keep pushing forward. It is coming before God's throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. David was at a place, King David was at a place called Ziklag. I think that's how you say it. And while they were out raiding a, a one, one group of people, another group of people came in and raided them and took off all their possessions and their women and their children. And the men there in the camp are threatening to stone David and kill him. And it says this, that David strengthened himself in the Lord. We need to recapture or capture strengthening ourselves in the Lord coming before God's throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Jesus was the most gritty person who ever walked the face of the earth in the face of severe opposition, knowing that he was gonna be crucified when he went into Jerusalem. The Bible says he set his face like flint with a stubborn determination and said, I'm gonna face it. And the challenge for us today is in the world we live in, we are trained to run from adversity. We're trained to take the easy path. If that gets us nowhere, the easy path is a deception and a lie. You cannot achieve God's purpose in your life by following the easy path. You will face adversity. But Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this. It says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And then he goes on, the writer tells us that that if you're in a place where you need encouragement, and that's what the whole book of Hebrews was about, is encouraging the believers to stay faithful. He says, if you're in this place, he says, then you consider the one who went to the cross. You consider the one who didn't scorn its shame. You consider the one who went to the cross and now has sit down at the right hand of God. And you fix your eyes on him and you keep pursuing and keep going. We're not called to take the easy path. There is a fight that is being fought, a war that is being waged and we're called to get in the fight. I can tell you this. uh, Connection Church Statesboro will be 15 years old on November 17th, which is really crazy. Um, In some ways, it feels like it's been 115 years. And then in other ways, it seems like it's been like two years. Um, But through those years, we've been through a lot of stuff. And this is what I can tell you. I have had more sleepless nights. I I have had times where I thought, Everything is finished. Everything is over. We're not going to, you know, this is going to derail us. We were stolen from three times. I could just tell you story after story of things that, that went wrong. And, and it's so easy to want to give up. And if I'm honest, there's seasons and even seasons right now that, that I just want to quit. I want to throw in the towel. And if anything, God has spoken to me through this message, but I have to hold on to it. 
People are like, have you ever thought about quitting? I'm like, which day of the week? Like once a week. There's a passage of scripture that, that Paul says, he says, look, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. And this is what I believe for us as Christians, that we should get to the end of our life and have some scars from the battle. It's not easy if we're pursuing and doing what God's called us to do. But it's worth it. It is worth it. When we look at this and we see this, we need to be encouraged in this. We need to continue to step and to move, to go, and not give in and not give up. If you look at verses 12 and 14, 12 through 14, he says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And what he's saying is, look, you're giving this offering and we're taking it to him. It's gonna cause them to praise God. It's gonna cause them to glorify God. He says, because of the service by which you have proved yourself, Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. He's saying, listen, because of what you're doing, because of your investment, because of your giving, because of your sacrifice, God is gonna be praised. He is gonna be glorified. He says, so finish the promise. Finish this part of the race. Keep going. If we're gonna finish well, the mission must matter. The mission must matter. Do we really care that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? Does it really matter? See, Paul's purpose in taking this offering was on one hand to meet the needs of the Jewish people, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. That was 100% part of it. But the other part of it was to begin to build unity between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And so Paul's hope was that in working so hard and taking this offering from these non-Jewish churches that when we go and we take some of these Gentile believers with us and we go be visit these Jewish believers and we present this generous offering to them that they are gonna see how much the Gentile churches care for them. And it's gonna begin to bridge this gap between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers so that we can truly become one people, one church, that the unity between them would show the evidence of God. It was about the mission. The mission was important enough to Paul to spend 10 years collecting this, working for this. There's a proverb that says this. It says, the stall is clean when no ox is in the barn, right? And here's the thing I'll tell you. You can have a clean stall. 
You can have a clean barn. You just can't have an ox. But if you don't have an ox, you don't have a harvest. And the purpose of the barn is to keep animals. So guess what happens if the barn fulfills its purpose and the farmer fulfills his? It's going to be messy. Guess what? The mission of God is messy. You can have a clean church. You just can't have people. It can be neat and nice and it can fit in rows and columns and it can operate perfectly if everybody comes in and goes out and wears a mask and never gets real about who they are. But if a church is doing ministry and God is plundering in people's hearts, guess what? It's messy and it's hard. But the mission matters. The mission matters. And we continue in God's purpose and we keep grinding and we stay gritty in the Lord and keep moving forward. The mission matters. The last one. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the last verse, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. In this, he's not talking about the gift of the offering. He's talking about the gift of Jesus. So if we're gonna finish well, well then we have to allow our beginning in the gospel to determine our ending, not our beginning in life. Can't let it define us. We don't reject accountability. We're intentional about our harvest. We remember our purpose and we keep grinding. The mission matters. And if we're gonna finish well, this is so big and this is like the umbrella that covers it all. Christ's love must compel us. Christ's love must compel us. See, in the church, you can have right action with wrong motive and it not be pleasing to God. Right action with the wrong motive is legalism. And legalism does not bring life. Legalism chokes out the life of God in us and in the church. What compels you? What motivates you? Is it Jesus' love? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, that Christ's love compels us. Where does this come from? One of my favorite passages of scripture is Romans chapter 12, verse one. And in that, Paul says this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship or your reasonable act of worship. He's saying, in view of God's mercy, this is reasonable. It's not going above and beyond. In view of God's mercy, offering your life as a living sacrifice is just the reasonable thing to do. And in this, he begins that passage with therefore. And I heard this kind of preacher joke one time, and it's corny, but it stuck with me, so it must have some effectiveness. And the preacher was like, if you're reading your Bible, that's my preacher voice. If you're reading your Bible and you come to the word therefore, then you need to see what it's there for. It works. So when you get to therefore, what's he referring to? He's referring to what he has said before. 
He said, in light of what I've already told you, this should be your response. And he says, it's just a reasonable response. Well, what had he written before in Romans 127, or actually 118 and all the way down through like 27? He makes this statement. He says, the wrath of God is coming upon all mankind. And he says this for a few reasons. He says we've suppressed the truth with a lie. We've exchanged the glory of God for the worship of the creation. He goes on and on and on. He says the wrath of God is coming upon all mankind because mankind has sinned. And he goes on in the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2, and he shows that this is not just a Gentile issue. This is a Jewish issue. And he gets to this point where he kind of wraps this up in chapter 3 where he, he, he quotes another passage and he says this, are there any righteous? He says, no, not one. Are there any that do good? No, not one. And then he comes to that famous passage in Romans 3, 23, and he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he goes on and he gets to chapter six, and at the end of chapter six, he tells us that the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In other words, he's saying, look, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God will fall on all mankind because all have sinned. And what you can earn is death. He said, you can't dig yourself out of this hole. You can either earn it or you can accept a free gift, but you can't do anything to change the outcome. And then you go into Romans chapter seven. And you get to Romans chapter seven, I call this Dr. Seuss chapter. Because if you've ever read it, it's, it's like Paul, he's like, what I want to do, I don't do. What I do, I don't want to do. What I will to do, I don't will to do. I don't, and you're like, But then he gets to the end of seven, and it's one of the, my favorite passages. I say this about every passage. But he gets to the end of seven, and he makes this like desperate declaration. He's talked about his own struggles and all of these things, and he says, who will save me from this wretched man that I am? Many of you ever feel wretched? I know my heart. I know how wretched I really am. I tell our church all the time, don't put me on a pedestal. You see the best part of my life on this stage. It's all downhill from here. Who will save me from this wretched man that I am? And then he says, thanks be to Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then he comes to this other famous passage. In Romans 8, 1, he says, therefore... Better see what it's there for. Since I've been saved by Christ, he says this, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And understand this, that verse and verses like 2 Corinthians 5, 17, those verses were not intended just to hang on your refrigerator. They're not just intended to be a, a plaque or a picture on the wall. They're not just intended for a bumper sticker. So you gotta understand who the person that wrote this was. This is the apostle Paul who was Saul before his name was changed. And Saul consented to the murder of a young man named Stephen for preaching the gospel. He drug off men and women and put them in prison because he hated Jesus and his church. And I've often wondered, how in the world 
could the Apostle Paul lay down at night and when it gets quiet, he's not seeing the face of Stephen being stoned to death, hit with stones until he breathed his last breath and he is holding the cloaks of the men who's stoning him and consenting to the murder. How do you not lay down at night and see his face? How did he get beyond that? See, the thing is, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that he's in Christ as a new creation, the old and gone, and the new has come. Paul wrote that. Romans 8, 1, that there's therefore now no condemnation for Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote that. But it wasn't a screensaver. It wasn't on a refrigerator. It wasn't on a bumper sticker, and it wasn't just hanging on the wall. It was life to Paul. See, on the road to Damascus, when Paul met Jesus, he's blinded by this light, he falls on his face, and he says, who are you, Lord? And in the back of his mind, I would bet this, he's probably saying, please don't be Jesus. And you know who it was? Jesus. And in the moment that Paul thought, I'm a dead man, Jesus gave him life. And you come out of Romans 8 and you go through and Paul talks about how God has dealt with Israel and then how God is bringing in the the Gentiles and he talks about in 10 how um, we come to faith by hearing the word of Christ. You get to chapter 12 and that's where we see this passage. Therefore I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. You think Paul understood that? You think it was reasonable to Paul in the view of his mercy? Well, guess what? You and I would bust the gates of hell wide open, just as wide open as Paul would have if we get there apart from Christ. In view of this mercy, in view of this incredible grace, are you compelled? In view of Christ's love, are you compelled? Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Run the race that's set before you. Fixing your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him. Fix your eyes on him and run the race so that when we get to the end of this, we can say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And what remains and what is in store for me is an eternal weight of glory that so outweighs every temporary bit of suffering that I've been through. Let Christ's love compel you because the mission matters. 
Don't forget your purpose and keep grinding in the strength that God gives you. Be intentional about your harvest and let God produce a harvest through you for his kingdom, a life that matters. Don't reject accountability, but keep striving and running with other believers who have the same goal as you do. And do not let your past determine your future. Today can be a new start for you. It can be a time where you cut ties with the past and you begin to move forward into what God's called you to. Enough with dead church and religion. Now get in the fight and live for Christ. So Father, I thank you this morning. Thank you that you never give up on us. God, I pray we would offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Lord, it does include our wallet, but it includes our whole life. God forbid that you would become a drawer in the chest. And you aren't the chest, the one who holds all of our life together. That we wouldn't be people who compartmentalize you, Lord. That all of our life would be yours. Because we know in the end, that's what's good for us and what brings you glory. Help us, Lord, in spite of ourselves to be the people and do the work you've called us to. and Help us to enjoy the journey all the way as we spend it with you. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. It's a pleasure being with you all today. And Sure hope you have a good week. Let's get in the fight.